Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me as the preseason finally kick, uh, clicks into gear, sorry, are my good mates, 60s and Clint. Fellas, it's almost like Christmas come early in November. How are we doing on this very, very exciting week? Well, John, if I didn't know better, I would swear it was only a few short hours ago that I was uh, in your company. And uh, what do you know? It, it actually was only a few short hours ago after we recorded our chat with the uh, general manager of the Parramatta Junior Rugby League, Adam Fairley. Um, we'll speak about that in a moment. But uh, yes, it is a busier time of year coming up at the moment for TCT. We've got the preseason training reports. Uh, we're kicking into gear with the podcasts. So, um, yeah good time of year in this lead up to Christmas because do you know what? We're on the same competition points as every other team. We're equal first <laughs> and, and looking good, equal first and looking good. So uh, Clint, what about you? How you doing, mate? i tell you what, gents, Christmas has come early because uh, I'm not sure what the situation is in your household, but I uh, walked home from work yesterday, come through the front door to see that my wife has already set up the Christmas tree. So, um, uh, personally, a little bit early for me, but, you know, let's hope the um, the gift of um, out in the uh, blue and gold west um, keep coming now that 60s pre-season reports have started. I, uh, I do ah, note that. Yes. <laughs> I, I do note on that uh, that little fact there about your Christmas tree being up already because of the Mrs. Quint, that uh, Mariah Carey had that post-Halloween uh, little advert saying it's Christmas time, like it's time to get ready for Christmas. It's like, it's November. <laughs> it's November. So, uh, it's November. I mean, Mariah's got a vested interest in trying to get Christmas to start earlier because obviously she makes obscene amounts of money off the licensing of all I want for Christmas is you. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, so Christmas is just around the corner. But in the meantime, plenty of NRL preseason to discuss, plenty of Parramatta things to discuss. Before we get to that, though, as always, quick shout out to the sponsors of the show Big Swing Golf, North Mead, Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Rowan, and Parramatta. Uh, do wonderful things for the show, obviously, and couldn't do it without them. All right, boys, let's get right into it. We've got a lot to discuss this week. And John and Clint, I referenced it earlier that we recorded a podcast with Adam Fairley, the general manager of the Parramatta Junior Rugby League. Now, at the time that you're probably listening, all of our listeners, at the time that you're probably listening to this podcast, the special episode podcast with Adam would have already been posted. If you haven't listened to it, can I please encourage you to have a have a, uh, a listen to as much of that podcast as you possibly can because it covers the scope of the Parramatta Junior Rugby League, which is absolutely an enormous uh, area and uh, enormous in numbers. Uh, and just to give you a, a little bit of a taste of that, the geographical area covers 
six local council areas. So you can, you straight away, you know that if you're having to deal with six local councils, you've got a lot of work on your hands straight away there anyway. But uh, we dig into how the Junior Rugby League functions, how it's looking at the moment, the general health of it, and, and what's been happening at the Parramatta Junior Rugby League at office at, up at Kellyville to assist the 27 Junior Rugby League clubs in the Parramatta District. So, yeah, I'd really encourage all of our listeners to uh, check out that special podcast. Now, fellas, into the rest of our Eels news. First of all, some young players added to Paradise. We've got Riley Smith, who's a dummy half from the Panthers, and he's been added to the roster. Not a top 30 signing, but he is now linked with the Parramatta Eels. Obviously, um, opportunities not being seen ahead of him at the Panthers, and Parramatta have offered him a spot there to see how he goes. And uh, a big fellow from the Roosters who was in their SG ball team, Javan Stevenson-Huller, has uh, been added to the Eels' pathways ranks. Not quite sure what the plan is there, John. Have you got anything you can really add to that? Junior year of eligibility this year being 2023 uh, in the SG ball for the Roosters, I believe. So he'll probably come into our ball squad, you'd think, given he's got another year of eligibility remaining. And at that age, we do like to push those sort of prospects into the uh, Jersey flag. Uh, so and once you're in there, you know, sort of your performance is the only thing keeping you from going uh, even higher into New South Wales Cup. So there's a you know a lot of bridge go a lot of water going on that bridge and a lot of bridge going on the water because that's not flooding, um, but yeah cool cool pickups there. I mean, whenever you sign a, a fairly highly regarded prospect from the Panthers, you're always especially as an eel has worked out pretty well for us. Uh, I know that Riley was fairly well regarded by Penrith fans. Had a couple of established hookers blocking his way in Kenny and uh, Sonny Luke. Sonny uh, Luke. Sonny Luke. So yep. Uh, He's still quite young, I think 20 or 21 thereabouts. So, you know, Jermaine Hopkirk worked out pretty well for us. And we know that Jermaine obviously was incredibly productive in the New South Wales Cup. He was a bit of an outlier in that regard. Uh, but Riley looks like he could be a pretty handy pickup. And uh, obviously there's the Brennan Hands pun there as well. Uh, but he was stocking up a little bit at youth and dummy half. I don't mind that. Um, obviously, you've got uh, Lusick, you've got Hands, you've got Young Buds as well. It's going to not, not this coming season be in the mix, but down the path he'll be in the mix. And Rowie can absolutely be another guy to fight it out among that combination. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Riley ends up in uh, full-time training at, at, at some point because uh, we haven't been given details on what level contract he's, he's been given. I, I don't know that there's the uh, capacity there for them to sign him on a top 30 deal. You'd assume he might be uh, part of a, a supplementary list. Yeah, the, the uh, new terminology, player. supplemental contracts. The, the new, yeah, that's the that's the new terminology for train uh, for the um, uh, second tier. Oh, no, no, that's the that's for the development. Replacing the list, development list, yeah, it becomes a supplementary list. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so he might be um, rather than supplementary. He he's probably a, a train and trial list. The old. Uh, second tier mm -hmm. contract, I think, um, rather than a, rather than the supplementary list. So, um, Clint, anything you want to add to that? 
look, he, he probably adds some uh, much needed depth in a hooker and, um, you know, he, he, being the age that he is and, and having his pathway blocked at Penrith, you know, it, it provides um, some good competition for the likes of Joey Lussick and Brendan Hans and, and likewise, you know, um, be great if he works out. If he doesn't, we know that um, we've got Matt Arthur waiting in the wings and, and not too far away from, um, you know, over the next season or two, pushing for a um, for for a first grade debut. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, just to emphasize the um, a couple of mistakes that were made the other week uh, in reporting on on Matty Arthur. He's not on a development list. He's not a, a supplementary player list. This this season, as was reported, he'll be on that next season. Uh, so the 2025 season. So um, now, uh, just on all of that, uh, I thought I'd just quickly mention, of course, that we are back into pre-season training at Kellyville. Uh, today was day three of the pre-season, um, the second day of the field sessions that they've had they obviously they train five days a week but there's different things that happen on different days different hours different uh loadings that are done um and of course it's uh they do have a bit of a break between the heavier work heavier conditioning work of the uh field sessions so uh monday field session which you'll see the report on on tct um field session today which i'm hoping to get a report up on uh, by tomorrow, um, I might make it rather than uh, last year, I was making it uh, longer reports and putting um, two or three field sessions into the one report. I'll, I'll wait and see how I go this year. I, I might try and put up briefer uh, reports on each session. It just depends what's there, whether there's much to report. There's not point in put, not much point in putting out a report that's only, you know, 150, 200 words. Um, if there's something worthwhile uh, putting in there, it, it might be that it's it's better to put two sessions into one report. What I what I can say is we had a few more players returning today. I know there's probably a gallery already up on the Eels uh, website, so I'll try and fill in the gaps from uh, what's there on the Eels gallery on uh, the Parramatta pre-season training. So, um, yeah, a few more blokes back today. And I'll put the details in on, on the uh, report when it goes up. Okay, fellas, uh, we're actually already into the NRL news now. And there's uh, it's quite a bit that we've got to get through. Um, firstly, what about that flogging? The Kiwis <laughs> over the Kangaroos, 30-0, the worst result by a kangaroos team, evidently. I don't ever. think collectively we've ever been so wrong in our predictions. We've certainly got it wrong individually as a group to some degree, uh, but we were all pretty heavily in favour of the kangaroos handling the Kiwis based on what we'd seen in the uh, Pacific Championships. And wow, talk about egg on the face. The, the Kiwis turned up. Mm. Australia did not. 30 to zip the big bagel, the big zero. And yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> that's the sort of result that usually uh, leads to a review, I feel like. You, you have to think that there are some major questions being asked because this is, you know, the elite players that are taking the field in a green and gold jersey. And, yes, teams can have off days, off performances, but it's not like there are many matches in the year 
where players get to wear the colours of their country. And you've, I think you've already said it, John, um, of the two teams out there, one team turned up to play test match football. Mm-hmm. The other team did not. And why those players did not turn up to play a test match is what has to be asked because we saw New Zealand dominate Australia all over the park, through the middle, intensity, physicality, footy smarts, uh, pace. It was just... was. I don't think there was anywhere where Australia was uh, competitive, Clint. No, not at all. And, um, you know, uh, I, I might sound a little unpatriotic as an Australian myself saying this, but I'm, I'm weirdly satisfied by that result. You know, maybe that's part of me wanting the um, the international rugby league scene to um, uh, be um, competitive. But, um, you know, and I think probably probably an even bigger part is because there's players from clubs that, you know, aren't out oh, and golf boys. I've, I've definitely got, yeah. Go down. Yeah, got some, uh, I suppose, Schadenfreude, or however you pronounce it, yeah, about some of the, some of the selections, of some of the selections sort of coming back home to roost, let me just say that. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, absolutely, you know, and it, 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 I, you know, I think the, the, the very Australian thing um, following that is, um, you know, whether you, whether you want to refer to it as a little bit of tall poppy syndrome on our part, or if you um you know you you want to sort of be backing the underdog you know that that's that's probably where the Australian in me will come out a little bit with this it's it's good to see some of those boys maybe cut down a little bit to size because um they've they've had it their own way there for for quite a long time and you know um I I I got to be careful that I'm not being disingenuous to the the, the job that Mal Meninga does but at the same time you know um I do feel as though many people off the street could probably walk in and, and, and be the head coach of the Australian side because you've got that many elite players around and you'd have some level of success. So for them to lose 30-0 is quite some feat. And um, I must say the, the other side of it and, and putting my blue and gold glasses on here, um, it was really great to see the performance of Dylan Brown and he be involved in, in um, big, as, as involved in their attack yeah. and, and, and points big bounce as back well, game. you know, mm. had, had a great try, uh, a, a great try assist or two there. Um, I really like the last little pass. He, um, uh, the, you know, the quick hands he used to lay on the try for, for Matthew Tomoko. Um, uh, was it um, Ronaldo Mulatalo's try that he set up with that beautiful cutout pass as well? Um, highly involved. Um, certainly answered um, the critics of his performance uh, last week. And, and we were certainly critics of his performance last week. But was... um, I dare say that uh, that Paul Crawley article throughout the week may have uh, may have made, made, made the rounds to Dylan at some point. And, and granted, he's a character that's not, not, not very fussy. But I'm sure, I'm sure he was made aware that um, uh, of at some point throughout the week. And you know, likely it was um, also used as motivation from Coach Maguire to to, to get him really involved in, and, and what a great performance he put in. With the benefit of hindsight, now that we you know can sit here and look at that 30 to nil shutout, how much do you think the week before was rope dope Like, did New Zealand go out there without I too much like of a Daniel Anderson, 2009. The old, the old, yeah, the old Daniel Anderson, in? Muhammad Ali, you know, sort of fox him and, and keep your guard down and let him, you know, have shots at you and then come swinging in when it counts. No, I don't think. 
I don't think you can do that with any test match. I, and I don't think New Zealand would have done that because they were playing at home in front of their home fans in that match the previous week. And I think just like they say about state of origin, every test match has to stand on its own as a source of pride for the players wearing the jersey and as um, the responsibility as well to the, the fans that that comes with wearing that jersey and, and performing at your best when you're in that jersey. So I don't know that there would have been any element of rope-a-dope. I think it was just a matter that um, they didn't play particularly well. I think they were stung by their own performance. You mentioned that Dylan would have been stung by the criticism of his performance, but really he, he was playing behind a pack that was very, very ordinary the week before. And let's face it, we all went for a convincing Australian win based on a New Zealand pack that the was very, very disappointing. Yeah, exactly. The, the week before. And and both Dylan and, um, and Jerome Hughes looked very, very ordinary the week before. Now, we move forward a week and it was all fire and brimstone from the New Zealand forwards. I mean, they were obviously embarrassed by what had happened the week before. Um, as to as to the scoreline that they ended up getting, and and uh, and you you spoke about the the value that is added back to Test football by New Zealand beating Australia, Clint. I, I look at it that um, I think I I probably would have been accepting. Of, uh, uh, of a New Zealand victory in a, a close, hard-fought battle at a test match level, I, I, I really looked at that as, um, as embarrassing for the Australian team. Um, I, I hope they really go away smarting by that because that was, that, that's a low point in the mm. proud history of the Kangaroos. I mean, like, it's... I, I don't know. A shutout is unheard of for a team as powerful as the Kangaroos. It just, yeah. oh, it's I massive. Mean, that that um, the the magnitude of the loss can't be under understated. It's um, you know, it, it's just it's just awful. Um, I got a, a couple so, of, a couple of questions and general sort of firing from the hip statements that come out of this for the, the Kangaroos. I want to run by you guys. Uh, yep. Was that James Tedesco's last test match as a kangaroo? Probably if we give him one answer, yes. Yeah, no, I mean, should it be? Perhaps. Will it be? No. Yeah, you think he's going to be given the grace to have a retirement tour? Yeah, 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 yeah. Were we, uh, validate, were we validated in the cultural criticism of picking Valentine Holmes, do you think? Do you think that that was part of it or not really? No, oh, look, I don't think any of them are thinking about that at that at that point. Um, yeah, to, 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 to me, it's not something that enters the mind of any of those players that are in the camp. Um, you know, what it might be more a um, a reflection of, as opposed to, sorry, John, when you when you ask that, you're you asking from the perspective of, um, did that impact the players, or is it a reflection of the culture that exists within the team, and that the, there's a laissez-faire attitude? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't have impacted the players. Like they, they wouldn't give them two yeah. shits about that. 
but as a reflection on the culture of the actual team itself, do you think? Quite possibly. We're being speculative here, of course, but massively speculative. Yeah, it's it's the but it 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 kind of comes back to the you know the the old saying: um, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. So. You know, if if um, if he's not being held to a high standard, then you know players within the group understand where the standards are, and you know perhaps perhaps that may have um, you know, consciously or unconsciously seeped into their mentality and affected them throughout the course of this tournament. And this one Who seems knows? like a no-brainer '60s, but uh, it seems like the Kangaroos have forgotten about it. But you got to say that it, it's kind of arrogant to be picking fullbacks that have no wing experience on the wing when we know that teams like England, New Zealand, mm. Samoa, Tonga. They can rise to Australia's level. Yeah, I, I, I was gonna. That's that's not a knock I on Dylan Edwards. See, no, no, and I, I've been tossing up whether I, uh, whether I wanted to dive into that as a topic because there will be people who rightly come to the defence of any criticism of of Dylan Edwards because let's be perfectly clear. He is an absolutely outstanding fullback. He, in in certain eras of the game, he in the past, he would have been a walk-in as a state of origin fullback. No question at all about that. However, he's not a winger. Like, and yeah, it's such an important position I, in the modern it, game. Like seriously, like yeah, I I think it showed in the in the test matches. He, his impact on the game, and I'll, I'll put that in inverted commas, was minimal. Now he is a he is a big impact player in the games for the Penrith Panthers. Like he is one of their critical players. His his carries from the back, the 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 way he gets involved, his high involvement in the matches. It's you know it along with uh, a couple of other players like like Nathan Cleary and Isaiah Yo, he'd be one of the players that they would struggle to win without. And he was, yeah, like, it, to me, unfortunately, he was a non-event on the wing. Now, a lot of that obviously has to do with the players who are inside him as well because there wasn't too much that was coming his way that was uh, quality football. And as we said, the team didn't turn up in that 30 to nil drubbing. The, I, I, I don't know how many players could hold their head high after that performance. Um, you know, maybe if I looked back over the tape, which I can't be bothered doing, to be perfectly frank, but if I looked back over the tape, I could find some uh, performances that get a pass mark. But you'd still say that, like, a 30 to nil loss like that, there's. It just there's players that just performed nowhere near their best, and far too many. Obviously, you can criticise some of the core playmakers. I thought that Munster and DCE were pretty ordinary. But my final sort of question slash shooting from the hip statement is, uh, and I say this without going, to, not going to hold my breath because I am. Oh, my windows. Sorry about that one. Uh, windows error there. Uh, I wouldn't be holding my breath on this because we know how New South Wales and Australia operate. But I hope that the Nico Hines experiment at utility is over. Do you think it is, or are we going to be worried about that popping up again? I think, I don't think it's done and dusted. I think, I, I think between I what think we saw at New South Wales and what we saw in Australia, um, 
Yeah, the, it was pretty grim for him. It, it was. I mean, you can talk about being put into unfair situations. I also think that while that is true, he also failed some fundamental football stuff in terms of just straight-up man-to-man defence, both uh, operating mm. at right centre and also when he was closest to the posts for Australia. Uh, yeah, I feel like if you're picking him, you pick him to start in the halves for not Australia but for New South Wales. But uh, I don't know. Just the utility, the utility experiment has been, in my eyes, a pretty catastrophic failure. Yeah, but see, what we're going to have, and, and this is where I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised if it's if it's revisited because uh, you know that he is going to be one of the better performers for the Sharks. Now, if the Sharks are on the, in the top half of the table and he's performing for them as the key playmaker, well, then you're going to get the... Um, the journos talking about yeah, him. Yeah, the talk, the talk uh, starts. The talk, yep, the talk starts. Then you start at the players that are there and you know that Nathan Cleary gets the, the starting half role and then, you know, perhaps uh, Luai again gets the 5'8 or someone else gets the 5'8. So then they start talking about, well, where can we play Nico Hines? Oh, well, you know, he can cover so many positions. We'll put him on the bench. Bingo. They're back, they're back to, you know, um, talking him up as uh, as one of the players for New South Wales. I mean, let's face it, they were talking about how he'd, you know, won favour finally with the selectors for Australia that uh, he'd missed out on with New South Wales this season when he was selected in the Australian team. I mean, the journos were talking it up. Mm. Uh, we saw the results. Um, as you said, John, like uh, most notably in defence. And I think, you know, the the one thing that I might say, however, where it might come apart is perhaps coaches will be starting to work him out from a defensive perspective. Mm. And again, this isn't, I'm not a knock on Nico. I think he's a great player, but he has got some defensive deficiencies and, It'll be interesting to see just how the coaches uh, start to work that out because I think it's become evident over the last 18 months, um, you know, that it can be exploited. And, um, yeah, I don't think we saw the best of him at all in the the Kangaroos team. Uh, Just moving on, fellas. Uh, (laughs) We failed again. Uh, PNG, uh, with our (laughs) tips, PNG. Absolutely dominated Fiji, thirty-two to twelve. Now, I think we were expecting a bit of a PNG bounce back from the uh, heavy defeat the week before, but I didn't see a twenty-point drubbing. In fact, this this uh, game said more about Fiji than about PNG, didn't it? We knew that PNG yes. would be a lot tougher and more focused, but uh, Fiji have to be the. I know that we talk about the sort of tier two, tier one point five countries that are, you know, pushing up. Fiji have to be the most frustrating out of all of them because the, the difference yeah. between their best and their worst is vast and yeah. they oscillate wildly between the two. Yeah, yeah. And do you think it's because they really don't have that dominating um, spine and captaincy that around in the spine that, you know, drives the... They've got the weakest... Um, I mean... Players on us. We, we've spoken about how it's the Achilles heel of most of those teams. I feel like Fiji have consistently had the weakest spine 
among the uh, the contending, you know, developing rugby league countries, uh, including the Kumuls, who probably have one of the better spines, honestly, between uh, Lamb and uh, Labour, uh, who, you know, neither of which are anywhere near top-tier NRL players or being in the NRL right now, but they are competent playmakers, and that makes a huge difference. And Opapi as well. Oh, well, Edwin Opapi is a real X-factor for them, mm. and his absence in the first game, I believe, he didn't play. Um Correct. Yep. Was uh, was noted, and he came in this game and dominated. And I, I know that yep. he said he's happy to stay uh, in the English Super League, but geez, it'd be fun to see him in the NRL as a rotational dummy half, you know, as mm. part of a you know some sort of battery come playing out of nine slash fourteen. Yep, absolutely. And and when you when you throw in Johnson at um, at fullback, it's 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 a pretty decent spine. For um, for a team that's where are they ranked in the world? Are they? Um, uh, like like six? I, I have a feeling they're about sixth somewhere pull, because pull I think it's a, Australia, Australia, New Zealand. They are six. Good call. Yeah, yeah. Australia, New Zealand, yeah, Samoa, Australia, New Zealand. but that that might change. Uh, Samoa, England, Tonga, PNG, then Fiji. So Samoa's rated ahead of they, I imagine this is pre-adjustments for what we've just seen. Okay, so now let's talk about England because they've just won their series against Tonga, um, three matches to nil, and they won 26 to four in the last test. Um, they've got they've got it slated in to play Samoa next year, but I was reading that um, Samoa are also talking with Tonga about um, playing matches against them at the end of the season in the Pacific Championships. So it might be interesting to see whether England are able to get a Southern Hemisphere opponent. Do a try, do a try end, series, end Australia, England, New Zealand. Mm. Well, you would think so. You would think so. But no, I mean, I, at this stage... They are slated in to play Samoa uh, in a three-match series, I believe, next year. So um, now the Tongan uh, team did go over there with some relatively inexperienced players because they they were missing the likes of Tal Malolo, Takiaho, Fafita, Katoa, and uh, Watini Zalesniak. So there was they were missing a little bit of firepower there. Um, I think it probably that last match was probably a reflection of you know three test match series uh, on the on the back of a couple of very competitive test matches. It was I think they probably hit the wall end mm-hmm. of a long season. Mm-hmm. They're on tour over in England. Um, England got a couple of key players back. Uh, some uh, Tonga's playing without key players. Can we read anything into that, do you think, about the rise of English Rugby League or, um, you know, more so a, a case of being able to play a Pacific Nations team without some of their best and playing on home soil? I think it's a, a bit of both. I think English Rugby yeah. League has quietly been on the up and up for the last year or two. I think they're actually assembling a pretty nice international squad now, one that can, I mean, given what we just saw... Uh, potentially seriously challenge Australia on a consistent basis, mm. um, which is, again, great for the game. You like to see that. Uh, I also think that, uh, again, what we spoke about with the construction of the spine being an Achilles heel was probably the weakest part of that Tongan team. 
Uh, I do like Young as Aikatoa, but they're trotting out uh, Tui Lola here as the other half. So they're, they're really short, uh, at a, you know, not, not even a dynamic playmaking option. It comes down to just that calm head uh, in the playmaking group to really steer the team around. And then on top of that, a dummy half, I think they end up... I know New Zealand had some problems there. They were... Uh, Saliva Havili, yeah, he's not really a front-line international starting dummy half. He's a solid, you know, sort of NRL-level utility half. Uh, and then they had uh, Latu final on the interchange, I think. So they're, they're struggling in that regard too. They had Will Hopwhite at fullback. Like, you've you got to do better than that. Yeah. Like... Uh, aside from yeah. that, you know, Conrad Hurrell on the back line. I don't mind Moses Sully. I think there's a place for him at this level still. He's a big, powerful unit. Will Penasini, obviously, we rate massively. Uh, Tolatau Cooler, again, another very talented player. The back line's got pieces. The forward pack's got, even with those injuries. Yeah, you mentioned mm-hmm. no, no Tamalolo. I do think that uh, in terms of uh, uh, Takiaho, uh, got some question marks about what's left in the tank for him. Uh, but yeah, no Tamalolo is huge. Uh, then you've got uh, no David Hafida, also massive. But even then, you've still got. Sele, Havili, Kafusi, Frizzell, who played very well, Olakawatu and Kaloma Tangi, and that's even for looking at Mo Fotoeka starting on the interchange, and Eli Katoa. So they've got the pieces there. Just what's holding them back is a lack of a consistent playmaking group and also being on a tour. It's tough after a long NRL season. Go over there, three games, you know, about a month over there in conditions that are pretty averse to what we have in Australia. Um, and yeah, they, they acquitted themselves pretty well across the first two games, were highly competitive. But, yeah, England, a very good team in their own right, just took them to task in that third game. Yeah, Clint, we just had John speaking about the um, England being on the ascendancy. And um, it's not unusual to see that uh, the Raiders have decided to sign another English international, <laughs> this time uh, a forward, Morgan Smithies. Um, uh, we have the upcoming... Uh, the impending retirement of um, the uh, other English international that the uh, Raiders have got. Uh, I've got a mental blank. Elliot Whitehead. Elliot Whitehead. Elliot Whitehead. Yeah, been a, been a workhorse. Whitehead, I hate it. This is, mate, this is my old age creeping in when you get a, a, a mental blank on the, on the name of a player that you, <laughs> you know really well and then it's just, it won't come into the head. But he's he just played his last test match and I believe next year, is going to be his last with the Raiders. So they've signed this Morgan Smithies. I, I can't say outside of the, the test matches for England that I know too much about him. Um, I, I've never seen this come up in, in football. I was going to say, sorry, just interrupt because we are just talking about Elliot Whitehead. I've never seen it come up in football discussion, but given his surname, do you reckon he scored pimple? Like as a football <laughs> nickname? I, I've never seen anyone, maybe, maybe I've, I've just missed it, but I've never seen anyone like mention it. But it seems like a, uh, a good footy nickname. We're gonna to have to do some research throughout the week. Oh, maybe uh, Pass or Festa <laughs> might, be the, <laughs> might be more likely. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, um, yeah. So, anything, anything you can um, do to um, give us a bit of a insight into Morgan Smithies? Yeah, I think he's look, a bit. Um, oh, I was, I was just gonna say. You know, I, I feel you're about to say as well. You know. He is a bit of a workhorse. Um, he's known yep. as, a def- uh, as, as a middle defensive player as opposed to that real attacking threat. Um, you know, and um, he was obviously an integral part of the Wigan side that won the Super League this year. Um, 
Obviously, Ricky's gone back to the um, the, the fertile grounds of northern England um, because uh, you can convince English players that Canberra is a better place than, <laughs> than northern England when it comes to weather. Um, lo and behold, because they in rugby league, our beloved rugby league is a winter sport, you can't convince them, convince them otherwise that Sydney or Queensland's any better throughout the course of the rugby league season. So um, Ricky keeps, um, uh, I guess, that little ace up his sleeve and, and, and is able to continue going there. But look, um, I, I, I don't know if Morgan is as ready for the NRL as some of the other English players that the Raiders have recruited over the years has been. I think he might take his time to, to, to find his way a little bit. Look, I, I could be completely wrong, but, you know, um, uh, I, I haven't seen in, and granted, this is, I've only seen a handful of um, Wigan games throughout this year. Um, I haven't seen someone who I, I, I look at and go, ball in hand, they're going to threaten um, an Australian, an NRL team's defensive line. Um, what I what I do believe he'll do is add plenty of starch to the middle third of their defence of, of the Raiders' defence that is, and um, and be a very reliable worker. And I kind of view him in the same sort of light as a Sean Fensom from many years ago. Not someone renowned for their attacking output, but super reliable defensively, and you know can maybe take the um, the pressure off a guy like Josh Papali'i in the middle there for Canberra. So, um, yeah, look, he's, um, he's one to watch in the sense that it's, it's always interesting to see how um, um, English players go in the NRL. Obviously, we've, um, we've seen uh, um, a, a lot of mixed results there over the better part of the last decade and a half. But, um, yeah, you know, he, he, he comes across as an, uh, as an English Super League winner. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's always exciting. And it's good for the international game that uh, British players do continue to come over here. So um, I wish him all the best, um, apart of, of course, when he plays our beloved Eels. But, um, yeah, you know, it's um, an interesting pickup for the Raiders. And you know what? I think the, the balance sheet would probably say that the Raiders have done pretty well out of the players that they've picked up out of England, they, they oh for sure they're, they're in the positive. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't be positive. betting against him having a decent NRL career, would you? Based on what we've seen, no, no, no. So they they they've done pretty well with the players that they've targeted. Um, just very quickly, Adam Fanua Blake. The um, it's been announced that he is going to stay at the Warriors for at least next season, with a review on his request to come home to Australia on compassionate grounds to be examined through the course of the year. So maybe there's been some sort of compromise that's been reached where uh, they're likely to agree to a release, but um, they want time to be able to replace him as a as a player um, and you know, get the time to, explore to look for that. Yeah, compensation opportunities as well in terms of player swaps, if he is going to yep. go. So, I mean, good, now, good on the Warriors for standing their ground and not just give, you know, caving yeah. in immediately. Uh, absolutely agree with that, and uh, and it probably gives uh, the Bulldogs time to work out what their <laughs> offer to. Speaking be. of, uh, be, yeah, speaking of, my goodness. So, I mean, you you wouldn't say the signings are earth shattering, but you also would say that they they've uh, added some players that have some first grade experience. Uh, 
they the Bulldogs have now added uh, Drew Hutchison, Kurt Mann, Jake Turpin, and Puasa Farmer Silly to uh, two year deals. All of them two year deals to take them through till twenty twenty five. So they're not one year pick up; they're two year pick up now. That takes the tally to nine for the Bulldogs signings for next season. They're joining the likes of uh, Bronson Sherry, who could well be like maybe the best pickup out of that, depending how he comes back from his ban. But he was going to be absolutely anything. Um, Stephen Crichton from the Panthers, who we already know the success that he's had up at Penrith. Blake Taft from the Rabbitohs. Jamin Salmon from the Panthers and one of our favourites, Josh Curran from the Warriors. So it's Phil. I mean, they've literally picked up a third of the top 30 as signings for next year. I had a look at their uh, roster list, and from what I can see, they've still got uh, about 35 players listed as being <laughs> uh, having a first-grade contract for next year. So they must be going to release some players or or maybe there's some releases that have happened that aren't aren't quite up to date on on some of the uh, rugby league sites that I went and checked out just to see where their roster stood. But yeah, I had it down that they've got 35 players. Phil Gould on their roster has to be angling for a rule change that benefits having about 500 utility players <laughs> on your roster because they they have literally signed every utility on the market. Yeah. It is actually absurd how many utility players they have signed. And I, I don't mind picking up a couple of utility players for, you know, those Swiss Army Knife positions in your top 30. Uh, you know, we used to love Will Smith. Brennan Hansdale feels, feels a similar spot for us. Uh, you know, a guy that can play in the halves, a dummy half, and then, you know, lock forward in a pinch. Uh, and we've got a couple other guys that are quite versatile, but I have never seen anything like this. Like, they, they have picked up, I mean, just from that group there. Like, you talk about the four players they signed, Hutchinson, is a centre-slash-half-utility. Kurt Mann obviously plays everywhere. And Jake Turpin, more of a specialised dummy half, but he does have history in the halves. So they've picked up all yep. these guys that can you know, cover multiple positions. And if I go to their actual mm. roster, if I can just pull up on NRL.com quickly. And, 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 of course, we have to add Blake Taff. Yeah, Blake Taff, huge, mm-hmm. huge James utility Salmon. player. Yep, Jamin yep. Salmon, exactly. Yep. Um, yep. What else we yeah, got? Uh, there's, well, there's, there's basically... there's. There's five genuine utility players just in the pickups for the for next year, mm-hmm. without without even diving into the a roster that they have that are you know rolling over into next. Season. And still not a single halfback on the roster. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, they they're probably um, well. I mean, they they might say that one of those players that we've we've just listed there is. Oh, look, a, they, they they get Toby Sexton. I forgot about that. So they do have one. Yeah, so yeah. I forgot. I forgot that it was a mid-season yeah. pickup for them. Yes. Yeah, and and probably a couple of players in that list that can play five eight um, as well. Um, I, I guess we're thinking Stephen Crichton plays um, fullback, but of course they got Blake Taff who can play in the halves or at fullback. Right. I am interested uh, to see Peter. how that experiment works, 60s, because I thought he was thoroughly mediocre behind a stacked Penrith team at number one, mm. and he's going to the Bulldogs, yeah. who don't have an organising half, who don't have a great, you know, uh, dummy half, sort of a uh, halves pairing in general. 
um, have a you know, middling forward pack to play behind. I don't know. Uh, I, I could I, see. I give it to round eight next year. Yeah, I don't see it. Going back, going back to the centres. Yeah. Mm, yeah, and uh, I guess the interesting thing is, will Jake Turpin put pressure on Reed Marnie? Or Kurt Mann. He played a bit of dummy half too for Newcastle. Yeah. So there's a yeah. couple couple of options there. Um, I mean, the way you don't want to you know twist a knife when the guy's on the floor, but Reed was pretty bad in season 2023, and if he has the same struggles heading into next season, you could definitely see. Serato uh, having to make a move at some point. Yeah, it was it was not a great team that he linked with, and that was always I think going to be the problem for Reed is that he wasn't going to a strong club, and the season didn't pan out well in terms of their performance. It probably didn't pan out well in terms of uh, Reed's communication with their fans when. Um, I think he, he suggested that they had no right to criticise as they did. Or a little bit tone deaf, yeah. What doing or, <laughs> yep. or what have you. So, yeah, it was uh, it, it just was an ugly year for their club and, and probably for him personally. Um, now, fellas, I wanted to touch on something that's it's it's not breaking news this week, but it's news that came out a couple of months ago, and it's the changing... Uh, updated salary cap rules because I thought there were some things that uh, warranted a little bit of discussion that haven't really come up too much in um, in what's been out there in the um, in rugby league um, chat. So I wanted to touch on a few things. First of all, is that um, the salary cap goes up to 11.25 million and then it's it just it creeps then over the next few years it's um jumps by one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year to be at 11.7 million in uh 2027 um and it's uh there's an inclusion of um uh superannuation in uh in the payments there Wait, uh, there what, was um, wait, that wasn't part of the payments. Sorry, including in the inclusion of super into payments. Yep, wasn't that is that mandatory in Australia? Yeah, that's a, that's that's uh, legally has to be done. Yeah, yeah. So those, what I'm saying is those increases include super. Um, oh, right. So, okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, so then there's uh, things like. Uh, clubs can offer $100,000 in motor vehicle allowances um, up to, so that's up to five cars that be, can be organised for players uh, with each valued at uh, $20,000, that, that sort of setup. Um, it's not saying the car's valued at $20,000, I don't think. I think it's the, the, must be the lease arrangement and the petrol and all that sort of stuff at 20,000 per is that is that how you'd read that that the it'd be valued at that because mm. they're not handing them a car for ownership are they it's a it's an yeah. allowance so yeah. um i wonder yeah, i wonder yeah, if that was being exploited i wonder Sorry, if that, ahead, that clarification means it was an, something that was being exploited by whatever club because previously we had a car allowance for you know giving to a player, just give them a car outright. 
and maybe the way around that would have been, okay, we can't give you a car, but we can lease you a nice car for the year. So maybe that being clarified a bit is a way of cl- I'm closing a loophole. Well, I know that, I mean, I, it's been a long while since I've been in the employment game, but uh, many years ago I was in the uh, uh, employment field in, uh, in uh, agencies and normally, uh, and back then, a car package, and I'm going back over 30 years ago, but a car package was valued at 10000 per annum if you included a car package as part of the salary. So I would imagine that's probably, uh, that probably seems about right that it's about 20,000 per annum as a, how you'd value it as a, as a salary inclusion. So, because once you start factoring in uh, petrol, rego, maintenance, um, all that sort of stuff, insurance, uh, it, it starts to come out to, you know, that sort of value. So, um, uh, there's different uh, allowances like uh, 300,000 veteran developed player allowance. A veteran is valued at 10% of the salary cap value after nine years at one club and 5% after 10 years. Hang on, it goes down after another year. <laughs> uh, a developed player is 10% of the salary cap value if contracted for two or more years before their top 30 contract. So um, I guess that's encouraging players to be developed through pathways football before they hit um, an NRL contract. And I guess if clubs are clever as well, they'd be looking at putting players on um, those supplementary lists or uh, It it encourages taking more risks with that supplementary list instead of Mm, just signing more non-commodities that are, you know, just to expand your top 30, yeah. Yep. Um, clubs have to spend 97.5% of their cap from next year, previously been 95%. Um, developed, uh, now, this is the one that affected Ethan Sanders. Developed players, cannot uh, juniors, cannot be signed before round six of a player's final contract year. So that basically means technically Ethan Sanders couldn't be signing a deal with Canberra before round six next year. That's the technicality. But you can have the agreement and the structures in place still, and I think it's fair to say that we're not confident about him backflipping. Oh, no, no, he's gone. He's gone. But it's... But he's... I think he's the first player that fits into that that system. So I don't think he can put pen to paper until then. So... um, um, And a developed player is a player who's been contracted for at least two years in junior grades has played less than six NRL or State Cup matches uh, to help development players retain players and give them more time to assess players. Clubs must have 20... This is this is one that comes up, and hopefully this gives an answer to people who are listening right now who've always been uncertain about this. And to be fair, the rule seems to have changed a bit over the years, and it's hard to keep track of it. Clubs must have 24 top 30 players signed by November 1. They must have by round 1, Monday of round 1, they must have 28 players in the top 30 signed. And then all 30 signed by June 30. There you go. We're in trouble. We've got those eight. We're in trouble. 
Well, last year, what was interesting, fellas, was that last year we never technically got to 30. I'm oh, sorry, we never actually got to 30, but technically we did. We had, mm. I think, well, we more had, than 30 players we had signed through 30 our players team. on the payroll because of yeah the way it works, but we didn't have a, a in the functioning sense, a classic top 30. Correct. Yep. Yep. Um, now, we spoke about this earlier, the supplementary list. Uh, Clint and I, we were talking about this before, weren't we, about how mm. this actually works out because... There's a $650,000 cap for the supplementary list, which is basically the old development contract players. And uh, you can have at least four and a maximum of six. These players are paid $80,000. They can play from round one and they receive a $3,000 bonus for any NRL game that they play. Now, if you work this out, if you've got six players on 80,000 each, that's 480,000. That leaves 170,000, which Clint was. How much, uh, how many ga- NRL games does that work to at $3,000 each? I think you worked that out before. Yep, yep. It was uh, 56 and two third games. There you go, 56 and two thirds. Now, so we can I get them out there for what, uh, 50 minutes? <laughs> so we're working it out that it's pretty much getting two supplementary listed players playing an entire season with, uh, and probably including finals football would use up that salary cap. But, but outside of that, it's pretty hard to see that that entire salary cap would be used just as uh, only from the basis that what our understanding of that cap is. But on straight-out salaries, maximum of six players, 80000 each, that's 480000 And then you've, do, then you've got that balance to fit in the, um, the yeah. bonuses that they for playing NRL. So if you end up leaning on a supplementary player to the point where you know they're going to be playing double-digit games, there's a very quick break-even at, what, 10... You say it's 3K per uh, Yeah, it'd be, it'd be just... It'd be just over nine games per So play. once you project them to be at nine, nine to ten games, there is an incentive to, before that, upgrade them to the top 30 on a minimum contract if you think that they're going to be an important part of the team moving forwards. Yeah. If you have the spot yeah. available, the incentive would be, because that means you, just, you you eat the 30K upgrade hit, um, and I don't know if there'd be like a pro rider element to it too, I suppose. Uh, but, uh, yeah, instead of playing out first of the season because they end up, end up hitting your cap, more, which I suppose is uh, by design an, an encouraged process, right? Because if you're going to use a supplementary player that much, they shouldn't be considered supplementary. They are part of your core roster. Mm. Yep. Now, these training contracts, it doesn't look like there's any cap on the uh, train and trial. Now, and we it... hear this term all the time, don't we? Train and trial contracts. And the old, the old days, we, we probably called them second-tier deals. So this is basically players that will train full time, and uh, you'll they they'll be your reserve grade players that, um, and we see it with every club throughout the year. Someone isn't in the top thirty, they get a couple of first grade games, and um, next thing they're they're playing regularly now. 
for an example for uh, Parramatta last year uh, was both um, Brendan Hands and Luca Moretti. So both of them would have been technically like a train and trial. They weren't top 30 players. And uh, Brendan Hands ended up uh, playing... Um, well, he, he played damn near the whole season. Yeah, he debuted. In first grade. Debuted very early on. Was it round three? Four. Round four? Yeah. And then... I'd, yeah, and I'd, I think we had we had to get... Um, dispensation. Uh, exemption. Yeah, yeah, exemptions to be able to play him uh, because of um, injuries and, and what have you. So we were allowed to... We were allowed to play him before round 11 because that's the other thing is that they can only play anyone on this training uh, train and trial contract can only play NRL from round 11 onwards. In other words, after round 10. Um, Luca Moretti didn't play first grade till after round 10, but then he became a, a bit more of a regular feature in the uh, Eels NRL team. Um, we believe he's on a uh, supplementary list this year, the old um, development contract. Um, so he hasn't yet graduated to a, a full NRL contract. Um, so you hear train and trial, think second tier. And yeah, there's no nothing mentioned about a cap. I'm sure there's, there must be something there somewhere, but... These players will get $1,200, I'm assuming, a week for training. And um, and then if they play an NRL game, same as the um, development list, the supplementary list, they get $3,000 bonus for any NRL game that they play. So, again, as John said, they will weigh up then... Um, I guess if there's spots available in the first grade, whether it's uh, worthwhile putting any of these blokes up into the first grade team or not, they're probably an example where uh, they might decide to leave them. I wonder where they are. I wonder back to hypothetical break even. Well, it's not hypothetical. The break even point is quite clearly set in stone in between that nine and tenth game. If they'd played nine games, would they then would their salary then count against the cap? For an upgrade as free K as a hundred and seven thousand, whatever it is, uh, for the purposes of an upgrade, would it only then cost the club three thousand dollars to upgrade them to a full time contract to play the rest of the year? That's a kind of an interesting, I suppose, mm. scenario to come out of that. Is if you do have a supplementary player who does play a handful, like a decent handful of games, and puts them near the cusp of that break even point, when they go to the NRL saying we want to upgrade them. Do they need like do they still count as a base eighty thousand dollar contract for the upgrade and thus need the thirty thousand dollar upgrade free in the cap? Or do they count as a three thousand dollar upgrade since their cap hit is already hundred and seven thousand dollars? Yeah. Interesting call, I'm sure. Um, it'd be mathematicians employed by clubs who uh, and the NRL that would be able to answer right, that. I, I know what clubs going to be saying. They're going to be saying, we're paying this guy $107,000 already. You better t- let us upgrade him full-time to uh, for $3,000. But the NRL might say, no, 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 no. His base contract is $80,000. you got to pay up. So I'd, I'd be interested to get into clarity on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, this is another one. Uh, clubs can promote players aged 17 into the top 30 squads 
but they can't play in the NRL until they're 18. So we can have um, 17-year-olds training and training full-time, but they're not allowed to play first grade. Now, what happened with Joseph Suwali? He got a uh, an exemption, didn't he, he got to the be exemption. able to play? Yeah. At 17? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, top 30 players can seek a release from their contract if dropped below state cup level. So I guess if a first-grade player has dropped I mean, to Ron Massey... How many times then, has that happened? That, that, is, a, like, that like, is a crazy... I mean, I suppose it's called exists, but that is such a crazy outlier scenario. Well, I can think some players that maybe should have been dropped down. Yeah, oh, that, that, that's, that's, that's absolutely within, like, you know, purview of the discussion, but just feels incredibly rare to get dropped below Reggie's. Um, well, yeah. if you if we look at a at a club who's um, let's say we've got um, we've got the top thirty, um, you've got uh, the first grade uh, lineup where you've got say nineteen to twenty players that are um, involved in the NRL. Let's say there's no injuries, um, you've got a reserve grade team with 17 players. Um, so let's say that's up around that 36 mark. I guess it's not out outside the realms of possibility that there's players who are train and trial contracted players who have maybe pushed ahead of some of the players who are at the bottom end of the top 30 first spots in the New South Wales Cup team. And maybe some of those players in the top NRL top 30 or on the bench for New South Wales Cup, or as we saw a few times last year, on the reserves list for New South Wales Cup. And you've got to think, how often would they be asked to go and run around for a Ron Massey Cup team? What what was the exact wording on that? Can you just read that back to me, like the initial statement of the conditions of release? Top 30 players can seek a release from their contract if dropped below state cup level. Hmm. Oh. I'm just trying to think from the other perspective of if that can be weaponized on the club side, uh, which it, it's it's the player's purview, right, to make the call. But yes. it, it is a way of establishing we don't want you. You better ask mm. out. So maybe yeah. maybe it can be used on, I imagine not as intended, but uh, if a club is desperate to get out of a contract or there's some you know attitude issues that they want to try and cull, then maybe they can send a very strong message. Maybe, maybe yeah, we will. I, maybe we will start seeing plays in Ron Massey after not well, seeing it. Well, who knows? I mean, we've probably seen instances where there's been players that haven't been selected in either grade, and they just don't play in a particular week. Um, but I don't think they've ever been made to play. That I can, I can't re- recall many or any that I've ever seen made to play at Ron Massey Cup level um, for any team. I, I could be wrong, but I just can't remember it. We can we can probably re- imagine the or remember the odd one or two that progressed from Ron Massey Cup into a reserve grade team during the year. Mm. I mean, it, it happens with call-ups from time to time, and then some of them end up, you know, going that little bit further and end up training. There was a um, a few players for Wenty that were training with the NRL team last year because they were called up into the uh, Parramatta Reserve Grade team. But 
um, yeah, it's uh, interesting. Um, look, that's probably the uh, main thing that uh, that I wanted to look at. Uh, you know, the the other stuff is all around allowances and, and things like that that uh, we don't really need to dive into. But I thought a couple of those things were uh, really worthwhile discussing. Clint, was there anything in there that jumped out at you that um, you think we might be seeing a bit of this year or um, or maybe there's at least a bit of clarity around now? Well, you touched on it briefly around the, the chat of the supplementary list and it'll be interesting to see how clubs choose to manage that moving forward. Obviously, a development club like ourselves and some of those boys that we've got coming through from um, the SG Ball Premiers and, and, and that did so well in FLEG last year, uh, or last season, I should say. We're still in the year. Um, we, uh, we are incentivized to utilize our supplementary list for as many of those boys as possible um, because it's going to uh, open a pathway for us to get salary cap dispensation on each of those players, you know, the, the 5 and 10% discounts on their future contracts because they've had contracts with us all the way through. Um, likewise, it could be an opportunity for a side that's ready to um, uh, make a premiership tilt and feels as though they, they need some players maybe with a little bit more experience, just existing, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily top 30 quality anymore, but um, might add that little bit of um, quality onto the supplementary list. Use that as a strategy to... Um, stack their depth as well. Um, the, the, supplement, the new rules around the supplementary list, I think, opens up an opportunity and you can choose to, um, to slice and dice it in a number of different ways. So I, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see um, how that's utilised by all 17 clubs through, um, throughout 2024 and onwards. Um, yeah, it, 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 it adds another little bit of um, intrigue to um, roster management for mine. You know what, I think it's probably something that um, if we can, we might try to uh, dive into in a, a chat with Mark O'Neill. Uh, we're, we're trying to organise a, a bit of a um, catch-up with him in early December. Uh, that's something that we like to do each year on the podcast. Maybe just that he can take us through the different sorts of contracts the players might sign at the Eels, like your your junior contracts, your lower grade contracts, you know, be it like Jersey Flag or or New South Wales Cup contracts, the uh, the supplementary list contract, the train and trial contract. You know, if if they actually have uh, actual set names for the level of contract, because I think if 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 that's there, if we can get some clarity around around that, because we know that Pathways players will sign contracts that will include things like, and they're, they're still like a junior contract or some sort of development contract, but not a development list contract or supplementary list contract, as we might call them, and that it will involve things like um, training deals, um, a, a pre-season training, a... Uh, uh, a full a full time training contract. It's there's uh I'm sure there's a whole list of them. They whether they've got specific names for them or not, it'd be good to know. And then what would be good to to have then from um, journos who are reporting 
that players have signed deals with different clubs and you see them and they're like at these two most recent signings that the Eels have got where they're probably, um, you know, a, a pathways contract or a, or a New South Wales Cup contract, whatever the case may be, if the journos could report what level contract they've got. Because when you have um, stories that come out that such and such has signed a contract with this club or that club, it doesn't always tell you whether it's mm. top 30. Or yeah, well, what does that actually mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's good for supporters to get some sort of clarity as to, um, you know, what what sort of deal these these players have signed because, you know, there was a there was a um, a huge um, swell of interest on uh, Big LeBron when he signed with Parramatta, and uh, LeBron was uh, he was playing SG ball. He he come down to play SG ball uh, from Queensland, and then um, he was on the the um, the training squad for the uh, Jersey Flag. But, you know, he was an age player. They weren't rushing him into first grade. And we've had a lot of questions from uh, from supporters wanting to know whether these two players that have been announced this week are there at training yet. Well, mm. I don't think they're going to be part of NRL training. Um, so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting just to see if we can get some clarity around the types of contracts that clubs can sign. We're not asking... We won't ask Buckets to clarify what each player's on, but what options does a club have at the various levels to sign a player to? Because um, we know that some junior players will sign deals for, you know, just a couple of thousand, um, which, you know, might help with studies or, or something like that. And then as they go higher through the grades, the, the contracts go up. It involves pre-seasons, et cetera, et cetera. So, anyway, that'll be interesting to dig into. Fellas, anything that we haven't covered as yet? Or, or I think we're, we're pretty close to done. I will do one quick check for breaking news to make sure nothing has happened on our watch. And I think we're clear. I think we are good to log off and sign out. So, as, as we're recording right now, just to let people know, we're recording on a uh, Wednesday night. So, it may well be that something... Uh, with plans that we're releasing this podcast Friday morning because we've got another podcast that will go up uh, tomorrow, which is that uh, that special episode podcast with Adam Fairley, the general manager of Parramatta Junior Rugby League. So uh, if you have missed that, please go back and have a listen. So, fellas, I guess all I can say at this stage is thank you again for your fine inputs. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in as always. And, and of Especially thank you for uh, those that take the time to give us a bit of feedback on um, on the podcast, either uh, replies on the site or sending messages through, um, or sometimes just thanks for what we do. We really do appreciate it. Thank you to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. We really mean it when we say we just wouldn't be able to do what we do on the Cumberland throw without sponsors because uh, believe it or not, it, it actually costs a fair bit of money to run a website and uh, we just wouldn't be able to do it without having sponsorship. So thank you to our loyal sponsors. And as I always say, go you mighty eels.